Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our scripture for this morning is from Luke 17, 5 through 10. It's in, on the back of your bulletin, and it's also on the screen if you'd like to follow along. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I mean, who among you would say to your slave who had just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later, you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the sermon where I compare our holy Christian faith to a cockroach. This story is not for the faint of heart, so gird your loins, okay? Picture this. JD and I are about to make a big move from Austin, Texas to Fort Worth. I have just quit teaching, JD just got a big promotion, school's out for the summer, and I've just had a huge group of graduated students over to my house for a goodbye party. And the morning after the shindig, I blearily walk out of the room to our pantry, I grab a bag of instant oatmeal and lazily stir it into some milk. I open the microwave, and right as I'm about to put the bowl in, a bug skitters out. I yelp and drop the bowl. JD runs out of the room, ready to fight, but alas, the bug is gone. We shrug it off. The next day, a similar thing happens. I don't know how it's possible, but little bugs keep running out of my microwave, even though the door remains shut. I move the microwave off the counter and try to peer inside as we try to figure out if it's the same bug. They're not your classic cockroach, but neither are they ants or little beetles. I've never seen this bug before. We shrug it off. A week goes by of this cat and mouse, nay, rather human and bug game, and dread fills my heart with each encounter that this might become an infestation. But this dread is not a sudden aha moment. It's like when you wake up in the middle of the night, caught between dream and reality, unsure if the sound you just heard was part of the dream or is actually in the house. It's like this gradual realization. I contemplate the bug and I start to avoid the kitchen subconsciously as I pack boxes for our big move. And then two weeks after the first bug made its grand appearance, I go to my coffee maker on a Saturday morning. 
Do you know how much I love Saturday mornings? They are times of blessed peace. I sip my coffee slowly, and I read a book, and I imagine that I'm in an English cottage writing a sleepy detective novel. It is a sacred time. It is holy. And as I go to pull the coffee filter compartment off of my coffee maker, my life unknowingly inches closer to becoming the scene of a horror film. Before I can even pull the compartment all the way out, tiny white bugs pour out, roll out all over the kitchen counter and onto the floor. I am screaming bloody murder. Hell's gates have opened. Death is at my doorstep. This is the end. JD barrels out of the bedroom thinking, rightfully so, that I am in mortal danger. And he grabs the coffee maker and he runs out in the garage and he throws it in the trash and shuts the lid. And then he does the same with the microwave. And we pull out the vacuum and we start vacuuming up these little baby horrors that have filled our home. And we open our kitchen cabinets to find more mature bugs lurking behind our dishes. JD is calling every pest company he knows to see who can be at our house 20 minutes ago. Hours later, after the house has been fumigated and we have recovered from the initial shock of the invasion, we debrief with the exterminator. And he tells us, that what we were dealing with is a German cockroach. Has anyone ever dealt with a German cockroach in your house? Yes. And we learned that day about a little bug, how they travel in bags, how they like warm, damp places to breed, like microwaves and coffee makers, how their eggs do not take long to hatch, and how they are impossible to get rid of once these eggs are laid without professional help. And he tells us, that our horrors are not over. He tells us that over the next week, as we move our furniture and we pack our boxes for our big move, we will find heaps of dead German cockroaches in small places. We, realize, we will realize how quickly our house had become occupied by this tiny, seemingly unassuming bug that had traveled, most likely with one of my students, a few weeks ago. And we did. Holy Moses, we did. Now that everyone feels sufficiently squirmy, here we arrive at our text today. We begin a tiny series today. Tiny like a mustard seed. Tiny like a German cockroach. And it's called Let Me Tell You a Story. Jesus Stories from Luke. Over the next few weeks, we will be looking at some stories that Jesus told and one story about Jesus. And we're joining back up with the lectionary as we make our descent from ordinary time and prepare to land in holy season in just a few months. And this one begins with a familiar metaphor, the mustard seed. And this time, we're not talking about the kingdom of God is like, but rather faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, let me remind you a little bit about what's been going on in Luke concerning matters of faith. It's been a minute. Immediately before this text, Jesus is telling his disciples things like, Take care not to stumble, and woe to you if your stumbling causes someone else to do the same. And if someone sins against you, forgive. And even if you have to do it seven times a day. Now, given these verses, we might understand why the disciples ask for more faith. Right? That kind of living seems like it's going to require something more heavy-duty than what they've got. 
And in the Gospel of Luke, this idea of tiny faith, little faith, makes its appearance frequently. In the midst of a stormy sea, Jesus asks them, where is your faith? And in the midst of everyday worries, Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. So it would make sense that they would ask for more faith, for bigger faith. But Jesus doesn't seem concerned with the size or strength of faith. Actually, in classic Jesus fashion, he doesn't respond to the disciples' request. Rather, he gives them a metaphor. And he tells them that faith, as small as a mustard seed, can move a mulberry tree into the sea and make it grow. It can uproot a tree and plant it somewhere else, but not just anywhere, somewhere completely impractical and absurd, the sea. Which is really cool, I guess, but what use do we have for a tree in the sea? And then he goes on to deliver what I have dubbed the terrible parable. Look, I'm going to be honest. When Jesus tells this story, I don't like it. I don't like him. The imagery he uses grates on my 21st century ears. And for all the liberating talk that Jesus does and for all the liberating trajectory we see in scripture, it would have been really great if Jesus had just said plainly at some point for everyone to hear and write down, slavery is bad, stop it. But he doesn't. And I wish he did. And lots of really terrible things have happened because of the way slavery is handled in scripture. We know this. But that's not even the whole reason that I call this the terrible parable. It's the way the parable works that makes me want to pull my hair out, that gives me the creepy crawlies, that makes me feel like I'm about to unknowingly open a little coffee pot of horrors. Jesus begins by saying to the disciples, imagine you have enslaved people. Well, one person, actually. And he has been out in the fields all day working for you with no pay and no freedom. And it's really hot in the Middle East. I don't know if you knew that. And he says, like it's normal, would you say come here and have some dinner? Rest your feet. Sit with me for a while. You've been working hard. And Jesus answers his own question with hilarious no. You would tell him to make you dinner and serve you. And then you can eat and drink later. Now, it's worth noting that in the ancient world, there are two different sets of duties for enslaved people. So that this theoretical master is exploiting the person he has enslaved even further by making him work double shifts. Hardly worthless, if you ask me. But then Jesus sprinkles the parable pixie dust and things get even, things get even weirder. And all of a sudden, the roles have shifted. And he tells the disciples, you who were just like the masters are now like the enslaved. You must do what you are ordered to do because it is your duty. Don't ask for thanks. Don't ask for applause. This is what you ought to have done in the first place. I'm sorry, what? I've said before that parables are like rooms with trap doors. They don't really make sense until you fall through that trap door, most of the time by accident. So where's the trap door here? And how do we fall through it? And what happens when we do? I'm afraid we must go back to the German cockroach. I'm sorry, I know. It did not take an army of German cockroaches to invade and infest my house. 
It did not take a family. It took one. And I didn't know it was happening until it was far too late. I didn't realize how the power had shifted in my house before I was screaming bloody murder. That little bug did not have to assemble hundreds of companions to move from my microwave. He made JD do it for him. Just by being himself. Just by doing what German cockroaches do. And I didn't have to send JD Amazon listings for a new and improved coffee pot to get one. A German cockroach in his abundant fruitfulness did this for me, simply by living its life. And as much as I hated it, and have nightmares about it still, and have been on the first name basis with our pest guy ever since, that experience changed my life. And I'll never forget it, unfortunately. So I wonder if faith the size of a mustard seed has less to do with the size and more to do with the function. Like, what is faith for, anyway? And what do we mean by faith? When we say faith, are we talking about a magical ability to manipulate God into getting what we want? Or is faith an intellectual booster shot? Is it the antidote to anxiety? Is faith a certainty that will make us happier, holier, stronger, braver? Will it rewire our brain and our heart to make doubt impossible? Is that what we're talking about when we say faith? Because I wonder if by Jesus talking about a mustard seed, he's saying, you have the size of faith that you need. The kind that can already do astonishing things like rearrange the landscape, uprooting a tree and planting it into the sea. The whole vista has changed with this small faith. So what if more faith is not necessarily better faith? Like what if faith is not even quantifiable? Perhaps, like Emerson alluded to, the smallness is the point. You don't need a bigger faith. You just need to lean in to your little one. And besides, faith is not really a noun anyway. I mean, yes, technically, grammatically, it is. But faith is what you do, right? Not what you have. It's an orientation to the world. It's action. It's engagement. And here's the thing, then, with the terrible parable. The trapdoor, perhaps. When we are leaning into our small faith, we simply do what faith does. We're not looking for brownie points or gold stars because we're simply being us. You see, there's a reversal of power, of power in the terrible parable. The disciples begin as masters and end up as slaves. They begin with all the power and end with none. And perhaps that's the point of mustard seed faith. That it's not us anyway that is moving the mulberry tree into the sea. It's God. 
It's not us rearranging the landscape. It's God. It's not us leveling the mountains and the valleys. It's God. It's not us casting down the mighty and lifting up the lowly. It's God. God is the one who is turning the world upside down. And our faith is the conduit, the vehicle, the little hole in the flute that Christ's breath moves through. Maybe we don't need a big, sexy faith to do great things for God. That's not really the point of faith anyway. We just need to live our small faith because that's what we do. It's what we ought to do. And in that place of humility, without us even realizing it, God is working and changing the landscape of the world. While we are eating and sleeping and going about our small faith lives, God is changing the backdrop of our environment. And before we know it, our view will have changed. Things that once seemed impossible and impractical will be as natural as can be. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.